0: If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of April 23rd, 2023. The podcast that made freezers for igloos. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's depopulate the news of the bogus. We've talked before about Germany's undoing their decommissioning of the country's three remaining nuclear power plants. Now, Chancellor Olaf Scholz is undoing the undoing and resuming the shutdowns. At a time when other countries, including the U.S., Japan, China, France, and Britain, are bringing new reactors online, Germany has decided to continue to kowtow to the environmental astroturfing that as we covered, is almost certainly backed by Russia to try and keep Germany dependent on natural gas. Apparently, they haven't learned their lesson. Environmental groups celebrated with rallies at the remaining reactors as well as in major cities such as Berlin. There's one easy way to tell what this is really about. They made a big stink about shutting down nuclear power stations before shutting down fossil fuel stations. Markus Söder, minister-president of Bavaria, said the shutdown was, quote, an absolute mistaken decision. While many countries in the world are even expanding nuclear power, Germany is doing the opposite. We need every possible form of energy. Otherwise, we risk higher electricity prices and businesses moving away. The German government has even acknowledged that this will make the country more dependent on coal and natural gas, and it's not even clear what benefit they think they'll get, considering they'll still be paying to dismantle the plants at least through 2030. Also, there's the question of what to do with all the radioactive material they're now not going to burn. At the present time, there isn't even the inkling of a plan. Meanwhile, Finland has become the first Western European country in 15 years to order a new nuclear reactor. The Olkiloto-3 nuclear reactor has now been operating, as in actually putting power on the grid, for almost two weeks, which is welcome at a time when Russia has cut gas supplies to the area. Olkiloto-3 is a type of Generation 3 PWR known as an EPR, which is walk-away safe and will never have the problems that cause Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. It's now producing 1.6 gigawatts of power, some 14% of Finland's total electricity demand, completely carbon-free. Meanwhile, France has prepared the site of the century for future construction of six and maybe eventually 14 EPR-2 reactors, and Britain has construction underway of two EPR reactors at the Hinkley Nuclear Power Station, the first one scheduled to come online in three years. And the new Vogtle 3 reactor in Waynesboro, Georgia, has been producing power on the grid now since April 1st. Vogtle 4 is scheduled to come online by the end of the year. Like many large construction projects, these have been delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but construction is underway in many countries, including Bangladesh, Belarus, Turkey, South Korea, the UAE, France, India, Slovakia, and China. Germany is a sad exception to a good trend that hopefully will get even greater as time goes on, with SMRs like NuScale and Generation 4 reactors like Natrium providing safe, Carbon free power for countries all over the world. If we can provide all our energy needs this way, who knows? These stupid wars over oil and gas just might go away. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency, without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. The intelligence community really doesn't like the fact that Matt Taibbi and other journalists exposed their illegal censorship efforts via the Twitter files. Now, Mendy Hassan, who works for their mouthpiece MSNBC, has manipulated things to make it look like Taibbi's reporting is a bunch of lies. When he had Taibi on supposedly for an honest interview, he started with a classic gish gallop, making, by my count, seven different accusations over a minute and ten seconds, stopping Taibi when he tried to answer. After that, Taibi had no hope of sounding good. He didn't have the files right in front of him, and in a live broadcast he couldn't take the time to pull them up and give the right answer, and Hassan knew that. Taibi got flustered because he assumed that Hassan was acting in good faith and this would be an honest interview. That's why liars like creationists and fake news media pundits love the Gish Gallop so much. The one that seems to have stuck is the claim that Taibi mistakenly said that EIP, the election integrity partnership, was working with CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, instead of CIS, the Center for Internet Security. The problem is, the claim that EIP worked in partnership with Siza is absolutely true. Taibi said in the Twitter files that since both organizations were involved, it was sometimes difficult for even the Twitter execs to tell which one they were dealing with. They've used that confusion to go after Taibi legally. Since he told Congress under oath that Siza was working in partnership with EIP, and it's a serious charge to make false statements to Congress, Taibi faces prison time for that false statement, even though, again, it wasn't in any way false. Don't take it from me. Don't take it from Taibi. Don't take it from Lee Fong, who wrote the source article in the show notes. Take it from the EIP themselves. On their own website, they say, quote. The EIP partnered with Saiza in 2020, both to help them understand rumors and disinformation around the 2020 election, and so Saiza could provide corrective and or clarifying information from election officials. Taibbi's claim is absolutely, undeniably true. And when it was pointed out to Hassan, he didn't admit he was wrong. He doubled down. Fong wrote, The taibbi Hassan debate speaks to the sorry state of affairs in the U.S. news media. Every journalist gets things wrong occasionally. Taibbi has conceded that he made an error in one of his tweets, though not in his congressional testimony, and swiftly corrected it. Many of Hassan's claims have been debunked, including his false claim that he never said a word about the Hunter Biden story, and of course this Siza EIP issue. Hassan's version of journalism means never correcting his own falsehoods. But since Hassan works for a cable news network where exciting a polarized audience is the chief performance metric, he is sure to benefit from the gotcha style assault on Taibi. But this has gone way beyond news media bug nuttery. Remember pseudo-Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett, non-voting delegate from the Virgin Islands, who kept asking Taibbi questions and then, when he started to give an answer she didn't like, kept screeching, Reclaiming my time? And she was also one of the ones who insisted that he reveal information about his sources, something that is considered sacrosanct in journalism. She is now threatening Taibbi with criminal prosecution, Based on Hassan's lie, which didn't even have anything to do with what Taibi said to Congress, she's accusing him of providing false information to Congress under the federal perjury statute. Again, all of the statements she claims he made falsely are absolutely 100% true, but she proved at the hearing she doesn't care the first thing about truth. She doesn't even care about being a delegate for people in the Virgin Islands, which is supposed to be her job. Apparently, her job is to run interference for the IC and do everything she can to silence and discredit those who dare to speak the truth about what they've been up to. By the way... Notice that not a single congressman in either party has tried to indict or prosecute James Clapper for openly lying to Congress and saying the NSA wasn't spying on American citizens without warrant. In her letter, she repeats her demands that Taibi reveal information about his sources and how he obtained information revealed in the Twitter files. Seth Stern, the director of advocacy with the Freedom of the Press Foundation, said, quote, It's disturbing that a member of Congress would attempt to threaten a journalist with imprisonment for summarizing his reporting during a congressional hearing. It seems apparent that she had no good-faith basis to threaten a perjury prosecution and that the threat is an intimidation tactic. Whatever one may think of Taibbi or his reporting on the Twitter files, baselessly threatening to imprison journalists is reprehensible, no matter if the threats are from Democratic members of Congress or Donald Trump. Aaron Tur, director of public advocacy for the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, said, quote, "The letter is shocking. The mistake in Taibbi's tweet does not show that he knowingly lied to Congress. It's hard to think of anything more chilling to a free press than threatening a journalist with prison time based on a single corrected mistake in their reporting." Fong pointed out. Quote, Although the letter came from Plaskett, it was a group effort that involved senior figures in the House Democratic Caucus. Notably, after speaking to multiple officials in Plaskett's office, a response to my inquiry was finally sent, not by her staff, but by Ernestine Dawson, advisor to House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries. The metadata on the letter shows it was authored by Jackie Kapler, a lawyer with the House Judiciary Committee who works closely with Jerry Nadler. And, in fact, looking at it from a big-picture standpoint, it really seems possible that Hassan was in on the whole thing from the beginning, setting up Taibbi so his buddies in Congress could do exactly that. Meanwhile, The Wall Street Journal has reported that the FTC has demanded that Twitter identify all of the journalists who have access to their company records, another abrogation of basic press freedom protections. Taibi wrote on his site, Racket News, quote, "...to say that all of this has been infuriating is a massive understatement. I have three little kids, and these people are accusing me of a serious crime for which I could go to jail. Yet they themselves are the ones making the mistake. The sheer viciousness of the ploy is mind-blowing. I've been angry in media spats before." but the level of withering hatred and dishonesty that's come out over the Twitter files is something new in my experience. I'm not surprised by it anymore, but I'll never quite understand it. Neither will we, Taibi. Just how do people like Plaskett think? What can go wrong in someone's brain to completely rob them of their humanity in this way? We might never know, but one thing is sure, they'll keep on doing exactly this until they're stopped. So this one goes back to the Hunter Biden laptop fiasco that we've been covering since back when it first happened. We now have the testimony of one of the 51 intelligence officials who lied and said the laptop was Russian disinformation. Career intelligence officer Michael J. Morrell said it was done specifically to influence the 2020 election. It's right out of the playbook of Joseph Goebbels, accuser enemy of what you yourself are doing. The former acting CIA director also said that current Secretary of State Antony Blinken coordinated the lie. In addition, he got a call from the Biden campaign thanking him personally when Joe Biden used the letter to throw off criticism. The Biden campaign even helped strategize about the public release of the statement. And longtime listeners will recall our coverage of multiple polls of voters who say that. If they were told the truth about the Hunter Biden laptop, enough of them would not have voted for Joe Biden to easily swing the election to Trump. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan sent Blinken a letter demanding he answer questions about Morell's testimony. He included part of the transcript of their interview with Morell. Question. What was the intent of the statement? Morell. There were two intents. One intent was to share our concern with the American people that the Russians were playing on this issue. And two, it was to help Vice President Biden. Jordan, you wanted to help the Vice President, why? Morell, because I wanted him to win the election. Jordan, you wanted him to win, that's why? Morell, yes sir. Jordan said in his letter, quote, Based on Morell's testimony, it is apparent that the Biden campaign played an active role in the origins of the public statement, which had the effect of helping to suppress the Hunter Biden story and preventing American citizens from making a fully informed decision during the 2020 presidential election. Although the statement's signatories have an unquestioned right to free speech and free association, which we do not dispute their reference to their national security credentials lent weight to the story and suggested access to specialized information unavailable to other Americans. This concerted effort to minimize and suppress public dissemination of the serious allegations about the Biden family was a grave disservice to all American citizens' informed participation in our democracy. And it was precisely their status that Biden used to deflect the story at the time— like in these comments he made in a debate with Donald Trump. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the... Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend Rudy Gianni. And Biden said that knowing full well the laptop was real. Morrell just confirmed that Biden made this lie knowingly. The letter reads, Because these events occurred prior to your nomination and confirmation as Secretary of State, we seek your cooperation with our requests in your personal and not your official capacity. Although our requests do not implicate department entities, and accordingly there should be no basis for the department to interfere with our oversight, we have addressed these requests to you in your official capacity initially as a courtesy. It'll be interesting to see what Blinken does next. How can he refuse to come testify, given that the Jan 6 committee set the precedent that basically everyone is fair game? So Anthony Blinken lied about the Hunter Biden laptop. But they're not going after him either. They're going after Matt Taibbi, who didn't actually lie. This says everything we need to know. If you tell the truth and expose their evil, they come after you like they did Taibi, Tashera, Assange, Snowden, Chelsea Manning, Daniel Ellsberg, and so on. If you actually do horrible things, they just ignore you and let you get away with it. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? And now it's time to hyperformulate this week's Biggest Bogani meter. And this week it's yet another one for the news media because of their increasingly desperate attacks on Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. They're making it out to be the scandal of the century, one that means that we should go against all precedent and do anything we can to kick him off the Supreme Court. And what is this big scandal? He has a rich friend he sometimes goes on vacation with. That's pretty much it. So what does this have to do with Harlan Crow, I hear you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that. You see, oh, wait. Who is Harlan Crow you asked? Sorry, got ahead of myself for a second there. Harlan Crow is a real estate developer from Dallas who gives to a lot of Republican and conservative causes. I think they're making him out to be the new Koch brothers. He met Thomas in the mid-90s, and in 1997, he had him in as a guest at an annual Bohemian Grove gathering. He's also given Thomas gifts, including a Bible that once belonged to Frederick Douglass, a bust of Abraham Lincoln, and a portrait of Thomas and his wife. In addition, Thomas goes on vacation with him every year, has flown on Crow's private jet, taken cruises on his super yacht, and stayed at Crow's private resort. There is absolutely nothing wrong with any of this. There's no issue with campaign donations since justices are termed for life and don't campaign. There's no issue of a conflict of interest since Thomas has never sat on a case where Crow has been a party. And since they're both already conservatives, it's not like these gifts were made to try and change his mind about anything. So why is it such a scandal? Because, well, I guess we're just making it up as we go along. In fact, The whole purpose of the Supreme Court having life terms is so that we wouldn't have to worry about exactly this. Of course, they might not be looking so hard at things like taking private flights with Crow if his name were Jeffrey Epstein. As Barton Swain put it in a Wall Street Journal op-ed, it's all about delegitimation. It's not about convincing people that there's something wrong with it or that Thomas is being dishonest or anything like that, it's making an emotive suggestion that Thomas is illegitimate, that he doesn't belong on the Supreme Court. He wrote, The habits of delegitimation have become so familiar that it's easy to forget how anti-democratic they are. Political correctness, and, more recently, cancel culture, the invention of phobias, homophobia, Islamophobia, transphobia, to characterize dissent as mental illness, the wanton attribution of racism, misogyny, fascism, and white supremacy, and, of course, the easy insinuation that any political figure of whom one disapproves is guilty of crimes. It originated in the political left, but the right's been doing it too. Donald Trump gave as good as he got where that was concerned. And, in fact, it seems to be the de facto course of action when a new judge needs to be appointed to the Supreme Court. It never seems to be about their records or decisions or legal opinions or anything like that. It's all about searching their lives for some bad behavior in the past that they can blow all out of proportion. That was the case with Thomas from the moment of his nomination. In particular, there were some laughably bad claims from Anita Hill that he had sexually harassed her, all of which fell apart on the slightest scrutiny. The most hilarious part was that the hearing was chaired by Teddy Kennedy. When that failed, they spent years painting his wife as a right-wing activist. Okay, but what does that have to do with him being on the Supreme Court? Being the wife of a justice doesn't mean you have to stop having opinions or being an activist. The First Amendment still applies. So now they've shifted to crow. ProPublica published a list of the gifts Thomas had gotten from Crow, gifts Thomas would never have been able to afford himself, claiming that his failure to disclose them was a violation of the Ethics in Government Act. What they didn't bother to mention is that the law doesn't require Supreme Court justices to report personal gifts. Recently, and in large part because of this, Congress introduced H.R. 926, the Supreme Court Ethics, Recusal, and Transparency Act, which would require the Supreme Court to, among other things, make ethics rules about the disclosure of gifts. It's been introduced in the Senate as S-359. But even if it passes, the Constitution's prohibition of ex post facto laws means that it would only require the justices to disclose future gifts, not past gifts. Ironically, we may know more about Thomas's gifts to date than we ever will about the others. And like I said... Crow was never a party to any case, but they claim that the Supreme Court on occasion hears cases that impact the real estate industry. It's a silly, vague, indirect inference that they didn't even bother to try and connect to Thomas by saying how he voted in these cases, or how or even whether Crow was affected by them. And they certainly didn't compare it to the other justices and what friends they might have who might be in a position to influence them about whatever tenuously connected issue they could find. If having a friend who gives you stuff means you can't be on the Supreme Court, then you can never find anyone to be a Supreme Court justice. So all of that makes the news media this week's Biggest Bogani emitter. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's retro-inseminate this week's Idiot, Idiot Extraordinary! Idiot. And it's yet another one for the U.S. Department of Justice. They've charged a number of U.S. citizens and groups, including black activists, with felonies for posting memes critical or satirical of the war in Ukraine, which of course makes them, quote, illegal agents of the Russian government. Assistant Attorney General Matthew G. Olson said, quote, Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service allegedly weaponized our First Amendment rights, freedoms Russia denies to its own citizens, to divide Americans and interfere in elections in the United States. Anyone who uses the phrase weaponized our First Amendment rights is exposing themselves for the freedom-hating tyrants they are. You have rights. Until your use of them threatens the government's narrative, then you're weaponizing them. Could they possibly be any more transparent? And there's nothing in the Constitution that says that a right being weaponized means the government can suddenly infringe on it. One of the people they arrested was Amali Yeshitela, founder and chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, who leads the Uhuru movement and is also a natural-born U.S. citizen. So this podcast is definitely not biased in his favor, but he absolutely has the right to speak out against the U.S. government, or for that matter, any other government on the planet. He told the Tampa Bay Times, quote, I ain't ever worked for a Russian. Never, ever, ever, ever. They know I have never worked for Russia. Their problem is, I've never worked for them. Also arrested were members of the Black Hammer, whose tweets seem straight out of those you'd see from Black Lives Matter. If convicted, they could get up to 10 years in federal prison, with three of them facing additional charges that could add five years to that. Of the arrests, journalist Glenn Greenwald tweeted, There is absolutely a campaign long underway to criminalize dissent in the U.S., As long as you stay within mainstream limits, what Obama called within the 40-yard lines, you're fine. What's criminalized are anti-establishment voices, right or left. All of this is independent of the fact that the U.S. not only does exactly what these indictments claim Russia and China do, but far more extreme. The U.S. funds dissident groups in many nations, creates fake internets to destabilize, etc. You'd think reporters would mention this. U.S. Attorney Roger B. Hanberg said, The prosecution of this criminal conduct is essential to protecting the American public when foreign governments seek to inject themselves into the American political process. We thank our partners at the FBI for their tireless investigation of these events and their commitment to ensure justice is done. But the thing of it is, even if the speakers were agent of a foreign government, it wouldn't matter— This is supposed to be a country of free speech. If speech of any kind threatens you, you're in the wrong. That's just all there is to it. The First Amendment prohibits the government from infringing on anyone's freedom to speak about whatever they want and associate with whomever they please. They could have been directly and unambiguously pro-Russia, and it shouldn't have mattered. Even if we grant every single one of the DOJ's claims as fact, it's still constitutionally protected speech and association. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, right or left, native or foreign, part of a group, or speaking on your own, your right to express whatever opinion you want should be sacrosanct. So all of that makes the DOJ this week's Idiot Idiot. up this, you are the audience. I am the author. I outrank you edition of the Bogacity podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogacity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogacity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad free. Thank you for listening. Next week is the fifth weekend, so that means no podcast we will see you in two weeks. Until then, here's a quote from Glenn Greenwald Humans are tribal, so I guess it shouldn't be that surprising but it's still amazing how the U.S. media treats accusations from the U.S. government as unquestionably true, while similar accusations from adversary governments are inherently false. The Bogocity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogocity.